Um, we're privileged to have with us a, a guest preacher today. Kelly Soifer is someone I met 20 years ago when I moved to town. Some of you have known her longer than that. And Kelly has been in ministry in Santa Barbara for over 30 years. She served with Young Life for a number of years, was youth pastor at Santa Barbara Community Church for a number of years, has served at Providence in a, a few different capacities there as a teacher and sort of chaplain there at uh, Providence has worked at Westmont and, and, and serves at Azusa Pacific as well in, uh, in leadership development roles. And also, a good chunk of her time is spent with the Free Methodist Church in leadership development, working with pastors and leaders in churches across Southern California and beyond, and helping to train up leaders to lead the church and to help churches to know how to best serve in their communities. And uh, that's really just a, still just a little bit of what Kelly does. And you could talk to her about more about some of the different places and avenues that God has opened up and is opening up for her to serve the kingdom of God in beautiful ways. She's always been a great encouragement to me and to our church and to some of you and your kids. And uh, just in my own development as a Christian leader, she's been uh, instructive and helpful and encouraging over the years. So it was not long ago, she's got some great friends, and you're great, so many of you are great friends with her, but it was just kind of on my heart. We need to have Kelly come and just share with us what God is putting in her heart and on her uh, life in these days. So we are privileged to have you today. Kelly, come. Would you? And share with us. How's that? Wow, what an intro. Thank you. <laughs> wow. I need to come here more often. I feel good about myself. Um, so it's so great. I pulled up this morning, and I drive a scooter. And um, I forgot with uh, Fred and the black sheep here that uh, I pull in in my scooter, and I feel conversation stop on the patio. <laughs> and... Everyone just stops and watches me, and I'm like, i got to get this right, man. And I pulled in and made sure I parked correctly where I backed in, you know, with my little 125cc scooter, and I just thought, I did okay. Yeah. And, um, and I, was, I was telling James before he started, I got the scooter in 2007 because I, I like being green, and it's, it's Santa Barbara. You can drive a scooter all the time. And, um, and the first time, I'm on Foothill, and I'm zooming down Foothill, and I'm just loving this, and this giant Harley gives me this on the side. And I kind of went, <laughs> I mean, I didn't know what to do. I think I even asked you, I'm like, what do you do with that? He's like, two wheels down, Kelly, come on. So, I, but I've never like led to a heart, because I'm so afraid I'll get rejected, you know, so I always just wait. But then when they throw it out, I'm like, <laughs> so I think I'm all that. So, um, so because I, I do know some of you, I know the Thomases and the Freds and the Guilings from Good History here in Santa Barbara, and I'm so thankful for that. And then there's that Knight family that I feel like I'm kind of related to. Um, so I thought I'd tell you just a really briefly a little bit about how I came to Christ, because I did not grow up in a Christian home. I am a good Californian. Come on. I, um, so my dad was a, grew up in North Hollywood, non-practicing Jew. And my mom grew up in Indiana, and she went to church and left that very quickly when she married my dad. And they thought, 
we don't want to let religion get in the way of our family, so we're not going to raise our kids with anything. And that worked okay, I guess, for our family until I got into high school. And then, like some of you have experienced, you know, high school years can be kind of ups and downs. And I entered a difficult time, a lot of conflict with my parents, and then I also engaged what I call the three Bs, uh, boys, beer, and besties. So I, I <laughs> took a, a little detour and um, really wanted a boyfriend, so then I looked for that at parties. And then I also had, as any woman could testify, a lot of trauma with my girlfriends, which is in junior high and high school, theoretically. And so I had this hard time with all that, and I started having a lot of problems, and I knew I couldn't go to my parents for help. So I thought, where do I go? What do I do? And I started looking around, and I noticed this group of people at my school who were wonderful, and they were really kind to me, and they were Christians. And so I started checking out Christianity. I had no idea what I was doing, and again, there were a lot of guys there, so that was really intriguing to me. <laughs> And, um, and I started going to Young Life, I don't know if any of you are familiar with that, and loved it and got involved, and then I received Christ, became a Christian, and I was pretty perceptive, and I noticed that everyone seemed to have a Bible. <laughs> and so I thought, I should, I should probably get a Bible. So then I asked my mom, could you please get me a Bible? And she was just, oh, okay, she was bummed. And um, so she went to, I live, grew up in Northern California, and she went to um, the store, I don't know if you're familiar, Gemco, which is like CVS, right? And she went and got me my first Bible. And, uh, whoops, where'd it go? So now, there we go. Save me, Dane, somebody save me. Thank you. Um, so this is not literally the first one because I ended up giving it away, but this is exactly what it was, and it was the Reach Out New Testament, okay? that she got at Gemco, and um, it has a lot of photos in the front, which I have no idea why, of like the Vietnam War and things like that. <laughs> really confusing. So, um, but I thought, okay, well, what you're supposed to do when you get a book is you start, you open the cover, right, and you just start reading it, right? I looked in the table of contents, and I got past all these random photos, and, um, and then I, I, I see... There's this book, and it's apparently about a guy named Matthew, because it says Matthew at the top, and I start reading it, and it's kind of like, at the same time I was reading this, I was also reading Romeo and Juliet in school, and whenever you got to a part you didn't like, you're like, yep, whatever, whip, 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 and you whip through that part, but then there'd be a couple really good parts, right, and I would read it, and several sections really blew me away, and I loved it, and my friends had a yellow highlighter, so I got a yellow highlighter, and I started highlighting <laughs> all the stuff that I liked, and even maybe the stuff I didn't understand, but because it, it looked good to have it highlighted. And um, <clears throat> so I kept going, and then I get to, oh, another photo, and then I get to the book of Mark, and then I think, well, Matthew was amazing, great, Jesus is amazing, wow. No mention of some guy named Matthew, that's a little confusing to me, but... <laughs> So I, I go to Mark, and I read it, and I think, okay, this is going to be great. And I start reading it, and I think, the plot is repeating itself. <laughs> like, I, I don't understand what is going on here. And again, no Mark. What, I mean, what? So I finally thought, I should probably ask my leaders what's going on, because it was like Groundhog Day, you know? So then I, <laughs> I skip, and I go to Luke, and it's the same thing. And then I, I give up. So I go to my leaders and I say, okay, wow, weird book, okay? So, you know, and then they, I'm like, oh, Kelly, uh, you need to be in a Bible study. Uh, oh, what's that? You know, so 
go to the Bible study, and I end up reading my little reach out New Testament in three months. Blows me away. I cannot believe how good and how amazing it is. And I, it, it changed my life. But I, again, I had so much to learn. But two things caught my attention. Is this going to do it? Yeah. Oh, oh, it went back. Oh, my gosh, I'm giving everything away now. Okay. So two things really caught my attention. First of all, it was the person of Jesus Christ. Amazing. I didn't always understand what he was doing, but he was very compelling to me. There was something about him. It's kind of like a car accident. You know, you can't look away. I mean, there were things that scared me about him, things that confused me, but ultimately I was drawn to him. The second thing that really connected for me was just the way Christians welcomed me, right? Christ went to the edges of everywhere he went and drew people in. And I was on the edge. I was lost. And I got drawn in by these people that were welcoming to me. So I really wanted to know Jesus more, and I wanted to be welcomed. Did I have any understanding of what sin was? No. Did I know anything about the Bible? No. Could I check a bunch of boxes? No. I went to church. I, didn't, I put my foot on the footrests that were in front. You know, my friend brought me to Catholic Mass, and I didn't know what I was doing, and an old woman hit my, hit my leg. She was mad at me. I, I, I never knew what was going on, but it didn't matter because I still wanted to be around Jesus. And so what I want to do today is recapture that. I want us to go back to the freshness of that time in my life, and I hope for many of you, of the wonder of who Jesus is himself. Because I think sometimes we're losing that. And so we're going to do something a little different. I imagine that normally someone comes up here, they preach for about half an hour, it's pretty great, you take a couple notes, and you're like, boom, got it. I'm going to have Bible study with all of us, and we're going to talk, okay? So I may ask you a question, and it would be great if you responded. So, because otherwise it's crickets, it's going to be awkward, and I, you know, I don't, I don't know, I'm secure, I can handle it, but I'd rather you not do that to me. Um, so, you should hopefully have a sheet you got in your bulletin, and I believe some people handed it out, and we're just going to look in the book of Mark. And as we're doing that, I want you to read it together, and after each section, just ask yourself what stands out to me. And again, don't, you know... Your introduction, James, was so kind. Thank you. I have worked with students for over 30 years, and I have been in rooms with students over the years where a lot of times they just kind of go, Jesus? You know, they, that's the safe answer, right? Don't give me the safe answer. Give me what strikes you, what stands out to you. So I'm going to pull out my readers because I'm a little north of 50. And um, so we're just going to look at the first nine verses at first. Again, what strikes you, what confuses you, what you like. The beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in the prophet Isaiah, See, I am sending my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare our way, your way. Mm. The voice of one crying out in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. John the baptizer appeared in the wilderness, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And people from the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem were going out to him and were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair, with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. FYI, that's really weird. Okay, just, yeah, we've noticed that. 
Um, <clears throat> he proclaimed, the one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I am not worthy to stoop down and untie the thong of his sandals. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. What do you see? What do you notice just right away? Anything strike you? Go ahead and you can just raise a hand. I'm looking around. Yes, Michelle. Yeah, he is. Why, how is he weird? What do you see? Mm -hmm. Huh? Who's the Holy Spirit? And why are they going out there to get baptized? You know? I'm usually left with more questions than answers when I read the Bible. Somebody else, yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Confusing. Beginning of the good news. Perfect. That should draw us in. What? What good news? That's interesting. And it's just starting. Yes. Right, and there is some context, and that was what was confusing to me, just having the little New Testament. What's an Isaiah? I, you know, I, I mean, again, the, the questions go on and on, but I had lots of time to learn. But good, great. What else? Yes. All this baptizing. All this baptizing. Yes, six times it's mentioned in those first nine verses. That's that's powerful. So. In Hebrew writing, when something is repeated, you know, we say good, better, best when we want to improve something. But in Hebrew, what you do is you just repeat it. When something is really extraordinary, it's good, 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 three times. Holy, holy, holy. That's why we see that in the Bible. Six times baptism is mentioned. So clearly, there's something significant happening as this good news is exposed. Anything else? This is great. You guys are getting it. Yes. Oh, gosh, we got two. Good. Yes. Exactly. I want to know more. What was he saying? We're going to see Jesus do something, and people respond. We don't know the details. I mean, the gospel writers do not give us much to go on, but just enough to make me, it's almost like little breadcrumbs trying to put me, keep moving me. Yes. So you see how we're, we're entering the story by reading it with new eyes, right? Just for the sake of time, let's keep going. Verses 12 to 15. <clears throat> and the Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. There it is again. He was in the wilderness 40 days, tempted by Satan, and he was with the wild beasts, and the angels waited on him. Now, after Jesus was arrested after John was arrested, sorry, Jesus came to Galilee proclaiming the good news of God and, G and saying, the time is fulfilled 
and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. What do you see there? Mm-hmm. Right. And why? Like in this, in this gospel, we're not told why. He just goes out there. Very few details given. He was tempted by Satan. And what does that mean? Wow. And he's with the wild beasts. Yes. Mm-hmm. And he gets arrested, and we don't know why. But clearly there's something. I mean, this is the guy that had just been doing all this stuff in the desert. Wow. So the tension's building in the story, right, if we're paying attention. See how so quickly we kind of tune out and we just read it because we've read it for years? But if you read it, just really anticipate. This is a great story. What else? Yeah, the angels waited on him. So there's beasts, there's angels, Satan's tempting him. There's a lot going on in this other level of reality, right? There's the natural, there's the supernatural. There's a lot going on here that we want to pay attention to. Okay, let's dive into verses 16 through 20. As Jesus passed along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you fish for people. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. He went a little farther. He saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, who were in the boat, mending the nets. Immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. We'll stop right there. What do you see in those verses? Yes. I'll make you fish for people. Yeah, what the heck? You're right. I mean, <laughs> fish for people? That's not a marketing line that I would use. Hey, come fish for people. Yeah, but that's what he calls them too. Yeah. What's he going to do with that? Great. You guys are so easy. This is fun. Yes. Kind of. And they left their dad in the boat. I mean, you know, can you imagine if your dad, you're doing the work and the kids are like, later, you know? <laughs> I mean, yeah, fascinating. Like zombies. It's okay. You can say that in church. It's okay. It's great. I like it. What else? Immediately, immediately. That's a word that Mark will use constantly. I'll, I'll show you that I went to seminary. In the Greek, that's euthus. Okay. So what that means, it's just, it, he's, wanting to, he's wanting to capture that the, the, there's one thing after another. Remember, the, the Gospels are trying to capture three years of his life in ministry in a short amount, in 16 chapters here in Mark. But when there's an immediately happening, he's showing that one thing is happening after another. In this first chapter, there's a lot of action going on, and he immediately is capturing that. So we see that exactly in verse 12, and then we see it again in verse 18. And you'll keep seeing it if you keep reading in Mark. Anything else? Jesus likes fishermen. Yeah, and, and he, but he's not one, but he, he wants to hang out with them. It's good. And he wants them to fish for people. So they drop, I want to know why. Did he know them before? 
because we don't know that. And they drop everything and follow him. All he says is, come follow me. And they drop everything. So was it something about him in that moment? Do you see how it's trying to draw you in to this powerful story? Okay, let's go on the other side. <clears throat> Verses 21 to 28. They went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, he entered the synagogue and taught. They were astounded at his teaching, and he, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Just then there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying with a loud voice, came out of him. They were all amazed, and they kept on asking one another, "Who? What is this? A new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. At once his fame began to spread throughout the surrounding region of Galilee. There's a lot here. What do you see? Well, yeah, you kind of wonder. What's an unclean spirit? Remember, I'm reading this as a 15-year-old with no clue. Like, is he dirty? I don't, I don't know what that means. What else? Right. That's confusing. Like, there's something about him that they see, and the, the normal people who teach, they don't see it? Hmm. Yes. Okay. Right. Yes. Right. How did he know that? And then, amazingly, who's the only one who seems to know what Jesus is in this story? The unclean spirit. I know who you are. Well, that's interesting. Wow. I mean, what a contrast that's going on right now. The ones who should know who Jesus is don't. The ones, the evil ones do. Powerful. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they do. They're, I think that the, the, it's, it's descriptive in a very lean way. Now, remember, I mean, the Gospels were written so that anyone could kind of understand them, so there's not a lot of elaborate language. I mean, again, being in seminary, it was easy to learn Greek because the Greek was very simple that was used in the Gospels. I like the words astounded in verse uh, 22, and amazed in verse 27. I mean, this is powerful. There's something just catalytic going on in this moment. And then in verse 28, his fame spreads. I mean, that's intense. So there's all this activity going on. We're going to skip the next section just for the sake of time and go into 35. In the morning, while it was still very dark, he got up and went out to a deserted place. And there he prayed. And Simon and his companions hunted for him. When they found him, they said to him, Everyone is searching for you. He answered, let's go on to the neighboring town so that I may proclaim the message there also, for that's what I came to do. And he went throughout Galilee proclaiming the message in their synagogues and casting out demons. What do you see? 
Yep. They have a beautiful plan for his life. Well, because there's a mob, right? There's a mob there. The whole town has gathered, and they're ready to go. And Jesus says what? I have other plans. Oh, well. We're going to go this way. And, you know, they're all kind of going, what? You know? Yes? Why do you like that? Mm-hmm. There's something about his authority. Michelle mentioned it earlier, too. There's something about him that causes people to just know who he is and pay attention. The demons, the people, everyone's aware that he's got this power and lordship in his life. Yes? Yes. I could just get down right now and hand the microphone over to you because that is a huge point. Yes. Go ahead. He knows what he's supposed to do. He's not letting his circumstances dictate. How powerful. Yes. Yeah, right. I mean, he's not going to spend a lot of time repeating himself. He's going to go on and get it out as far as he can, far and wide. But what do we often do as Christians week after week? Same old, same old, same song, second verse. You know, we just keep repeating the same thing because maybe you didn't get it the 14th time, right? Yeah. <laughs> right. I mean, I used to do that with students all the time. I think if I repeat myself, they're going to listen better. <laughs> what, a, what a joke. Um, and the drama of that in verse 37, you know, everyone is searching for you. I mean, there's, again, so much dynamic energy going on. This is what I came to do. So what an amazing start. I mean, we're introduced to these phrases, kingdom of God and good news. I mean, there is so much given there, right? I mean, there's so much action. He starts getting baptized by getting baptized. He goes into the wilderness, and he's tempted, which, again, we don't totally know why. He gets to make this big announcement, and then he's supposed to go out and be tempted. He announces the kingdom of God. He start, I love that sound. That's wonderful. Enjoy that, Nate. Then he starts asking people to follow him, and you're like, well, who do you think you are? Okay, special guy. Okay, then he preaches and casts out demons, and he heals them, and then he's mobbed. I mean, it's just boom, 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 boom. There's all this thing, stuff going on. There's so much action. I, so my question, you know, because I'm up here, I get to tell you is what do I see? What do I notice? So what I always recommend when we read scripture is we notice what's happening in the text. Pay attention to that first. Then secondly, you want to ask yourself, what do I, what, how does this apply to me? What do I notice? What's hitting me, right? First thing I think is that Jesus fascinates me. There are things that he does that don't make any sense to me. He doesn't, he doesn't do the predictable thing. Why do, the, why do the demons know who he is? Why does he go get tempted? Why does he leave the mobs and go in another direction entirely? He fascinates me. He's not who I expect, right? The second thing is that he surprises me. Wilderness for 40 days, calling people to the kingdom of God? I want you to fish for people? I, I, I mean, again, it's, it's, it builds on the fascination. He's compelling. He draws me to him, but I'm never left comfortable. Right? He, he also surprises me. He catches me off guard. 
And that's what he did to the disciples constantly. Let's not forget, though, he's always in control. Sometimes throughout these scriptures, I will read, and I feel like Jesus is saying, I got this. He's teaching in the synagogue, and an unclean spirit comes out. Does he panic, which is what I would do? <laughs> what am I supposed to do? Holy cats. Never had this one. You know, I mean, he just kind of was like, it's okay. I got this, you know. And then when he calls out who he is, he's like, not now. No, we're not going to talk about that right now. And then throughout the scriptures, he heals someone, and he says, don't tell anybody. Don't tell anybody. I'm going to be putting it on my cards. I healed 25 people. Yeah. So it, he doesn't, again, he doesn't, he seems to know what's going on, and he said, he, this is what I came to do. He knows what he's about. He's in control because he knows who he is. That's what I would yearn for each one of us, is that we would know who we are in Christ. And my model for that is watching him. He knows who he is. He's not revved up by the crowd. He's not frightened by the demons. He's not frustrated by his disciples, all of which should be happening because, holy cow, there's a lot going on right there, right? But he seems to be able to stay focused because he never goes out on his own. That's what's so striking. Verse 35 has been a life-changing verse for me. In the midst of so much activity, what does he do? He gets up early, goes out to pray. Because he never wants to get ahead of what God is up to. Right? He does this again after the feeding of the 5,000. Everyone's like, oh my gosh, look at what you're doing. He disappears and goes away from the disciples to get time with the Father. He's about to be crucified in Gethsemane. Same thing happens. He, he goes off by himself says, God, what, what do I need from you right now? What do you have for me? He doesn't go out on his own. This is the Jesus that drew me in when I read my Bible for the first time. And so then I say, so what? You know, do I just admire Jesus, which is our temptation, just to look at him and say, what a guy, you know? I like him. I want to be on his team. Or do you say, huh, Maybe he wants me to walk in his ways. What does that look like? Here's a quote from Henry Nouwen, who has really struck me over the years, a great writer. The ups and downs of our spiritual lives depend on our obedience. That is, our attentive listening to the movements of the Spirit of God within us. Without this listening, our spiritual life eventually becomes subject to the windswept waves of our emotions. Whatever's going on, do we pay attention to the windswept waves or do we pay attention to him, to the movement of the spirit of, the God, of God within us? That's what I want to learn how to pay attention to and what's happening now. Because for me, what I struggle with is I pay attention to my circumstances. So the so what, the first so what would be don't let your circumstances govern your mission. I know that's easy to say, but that's my goal, is to learn how to listen inwardly to the Spirit of God more than my circumstances, which change day to day. Listen to the Spirit of God more than my emotions, because that's what really undoes me. We do not need to let our circumstances run our lives. I tend to get really buried by the details, by what, the what-ifs, 
I'm a catastrophizer. I play things out, and I'm like, but this is going to happen. And, this, and, you know, it actually paid off for me as a youth pastor. I was always able to anticipate, yeah, I know, if we do that, then one kid's going to slide down, and he's going to break his collarbone. So I need to bring the first aid kit and the phone number of the hospital. I mean, I always knew what was going to happen, and unfortunately it often did. And, um, but I can, I can be that way about everything all the time. I can play out worst-case scenarios and be fearful rather than faithful. So I want to learn from Christ. The second thing would be, let Jesus surprise you. Don't just phone it in. We have made Christianity so boring. We make it all about a bunch of do's and don'ts and checking the boxes and behaving. And I don't feel like Jesus behaved all the time, right? I, I feel like he, he would do things that were not socially acceptable but we're so safe. We're so domestic. You know, we, we just do everything carefully. And I would say that let, let's, let's regain that sense of wonder about the person of Jesus and what he did when he entered the world. Right? And he turned everything upside down. And I want to be more compelled by him than, again, what's, what's going on around me. Then the last thing would be, uh, sorry, that I'm just saying what I just said, <laughs> but... Um, follow his example. Look at that quote on there. I have so much to do that I shall spend the first three hours in prayer. I tend to fall into the trap of I have so much going on, I'm just too busy to spend time with God. And I'm doing a lot of really good, important stuff, so God will understand, right? But if anyone was busy, it was Jesus. I, we can't out-busy him, okay? And so when someone says, yeah, I've just been really busy, I kind of like, mm, you know, we're letting our schedules run our lives rather than us run our schedules. I have so much to do, I need to spend the first three hours in prayer. That was Martin Luther. And we're going to be noting the, the 500th anniversary of the Reformation on October 31st. I mean, the, the church was turned upside down, and this is one of the things I take away from who Luther's, what Luther taught. Follow Christ's example. Be at his feet before we move forward. So we don't need to let our circumstances run our lives. Let Jesus surprise you and follow his example. So I want to end with this. A prayer. I read this earlier this summer. John Chrysostom. Uh, Chrysostom means golden mouth. Uh, and he was a preacher in the 4th century in Ephesus. And he said, prayer is a pla the place of refuge for every worry, a foundation for cheerfulness, a source of constant happiness, a protection against sadness. Let's be people that know Jesus so well that when we sense his spirit working within us, we recognize him. And that, that we would follow him accordingly and not pay attention to everything going on around us. Be people that are people of transformation wherever we are. Amen? Amen. Thanks.